Um, I know, I don't know if, if uh, you guys are expecting snow, uh, but it's supposed to come 1 p.m. And, and I, I got a, a text message from Fairfax County uh, yesterday, I think afternoon, that at 1 p.m. they're going to close the school. And so, um, and I, I thought, praise the Lord that we get to have church today <laughs> in the morning. Um, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles with you, you could turn there. Uh, we'll look at chapter 2 today. Um, in a sense, we're going through the book because, yeah, the, the, the writer of the book, uh, we call him, the, well, ESV calls him the preacher. NIV has um, a teacher. Uh, he's more like, um, he's more like a, a seminar leader. He, he presents questions to us, uh, and he's really honest about life, all the things that he sees. And so we want to consider him uh, and what he has to say. And what's really helpful about him is that he doesn't just give us general statements and uh, uh, observations, um, theoretical observations, but he actually shares with us his, his life. Like there's personal testimony about his writing. And so in chapter 2, he is talking about now like what he personally has experienced. Uh, and what, what, what is unique about him is he's not only a teacher, but he says he, he was a king in Israel, meaning he was someone who had all the resources that, that, that we might desire. In other words, he tried many different things in life. He actually did things that perhaps we might want to do. And so in, in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me, in Jerusalem. And then verse 10, he says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from, my, keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. This is helpful because what he's saying is who he is. He, he is someone who actually went all the way to the end. He's telling us that he's tried everything. And here are his observations and reflections. Again, this is helpful because I think oftentimes we think that we're not happy or we don't have meaning in life or purpose in life because we haven't gone far enough, right? So we think, if I just have a little bit more of blank, if I go a little bit further or climb a little bit higher, then I'll be happy. What he's telling us is, no, he's already been there. He's done all the things that we might perhaps want to do. And he says, it was vanity. It was hebel. Um, he's telling us, from his own personal experience, what he's done and what he concluded. And so that's what chapter, end of chapter 1 and chapter 2 is. He says he tried three things to find meaning in life. And then he says they were all vanity. And then at the end of chapter 2, he gives us a conclusion or his, his reflection on how we ought to live. Okay, so chapter, we'll start from chapter 1, verse 12. So the first thing that he tried is he, he searched for meaning with wisdom, right? So verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel. So he's not only a teacher, preacher, but he's a king in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So he's saying, I've used, I'm, I've used my mind, my intellect, my knowledge to figure out the questions that I, I observed in life. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be, to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. 
What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So he says, he, he doesn't have answers to life. He says, what's crooked, meaning things that are not right, right? Think uh, injustice, things that are not right. He says, there are no answers. He can't undo the things that are wrong in this life. Verse 16, he says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases in sorrow. So he says he tried to discern uh, being wise and being foolish. And later in chapter 2, he does say being wise is better than being a fool. But then he goes on to talk about how both are really meaningless because no one will remember a wise person just like no one will remember a foolish person. And here he says, for in much wisdom is much frustration, vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And so he says, basically, more you know, more you understand about life, more frustration you will experience. So it's um, an example, you know, this afternoon, there's supposed to be snow. If, if, a, um, if you're a child, you, know, you get excited about snow, right? Initially, you go, oh, school canceled, or you know, it'll be canceled. I get to go out and play, maybe make snowmen. I get to do different things. So for a child, it's exciting. But for a grown-up, it's like you're thinking about 10 different things, right? Because you're thinking about, okay, how's the traffic going to be if you're commuting to work? Um, do I have enough food for my family? Is there enough gas in my car? Who's going to shovel the snow? Is my snow blower going to work? I mean, for me, that's the biggest question. Is that going to work? I mean, you have all these things. Why? Because you just have more information. You see the bigger picture. That's what the preacher is saying. He's saying more you understand about life, there's more frustration. There's more vexation, more irritation. So his conclusion is, with wisdom... He could not gain meaning in life. He could not find answers. Then in chapter 2, he goes on. Look at verse 1 in chapter 3. He says, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So this is what's happening, right? In his heart, he's saying, he, he tried to figure out with knowledge and wisdom life. And he says, there, is, there are no answers. I can't fix things. And so he says, now I'm going to try to gain meaning in life subjectively, right? So he said, I've tried to gain objective meaning in life using my wisdom that God's given me, but there are no answers. So now I'm going to try to create meaning for myself through pleasure. Uh, he goes on, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what uses it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what, good, what was good for the children of men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he's saying basically, I've tried drinking. Um, I've tried to do as much as I can to find meaning during the time that I have in this earth. But it was meaningless. Verse 4, I made great works. 
I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had, all, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And so he, again, he, he built impressive houses, built gardens, built parks for himself. He had people to do everything that he didn't want to do, right? He, he, he relaxed in his palace, and he had people taking care of him. Um, he gathered silver and gold. He accumulated, accumulated much wealth. He had singers, both men and women. He enjoyed art, music. He had concubines for his sexual pleasure. He had it all, he says. And then verse 9, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hand had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he went after pleasure, right? Objectively, he couldn't figure things out. So subjectively, he said, I'm going to enjoy life. Um, again, he had resources to do all the things that perhaps we might want to do, right? Whether it's wine or, or he talks about how building, creating things, build parks and houses. He had people serve him. He had singers sing for him. I mean, he, he had it all. But he says at the end, um, Everything was meaningless. Everything was fleeting. Now, why, why does that happen? I think in this section, he gives us two clues. So here are two things, I think. One, I think he tells us that pleasure fails to distract us. I don't know if you caught this, but he uses this phrase, um, my wisdom was still guiding me, or my wisdom was still with me, a few times. Or he uses it twice. Why do we pursue pleasure often? It's so that we could be distracted or we can forget like realities of life. Right? We, we want to uh, forget the hardships. We want to escape. You know, let's say you say um, work has been really hard. Um, well, we pursue pleasure so that we can escape the hardships that we, we are facing or we want to, we want to again be distracted by turning on a TV show or whatever it might be. We, we want to escape that. But I think what he's saying is, he said, my wisdom was still guiding me. And so I think he, what he's saying is, although I wanted to go all the way and pursue pleasure and drink and have um, concubines serve me, although I wanted to do all these things all the way like an animal, he said, uh, my wisdom was still guiding me. My mind was still telling me what was right and what was wrong. In other words, he couldn't, he couldn't live like an animal, 
Right? Animals pursue their desires. They, they eat what they want to eat. They do what they want to do. But here he says, I have wisdom. I had conscience. They were still guiding me. And so I could not fully escape. I couldn't fully be distracted. And it's not true. I mean, even when we go through some hard times and we want to be distracted, we want to escape and you pursue pleasure. Well, you always have to come back to what the problem, what the problem is in your life. You can't fully escape life and reality. And I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I, I, try, I tried. I tried to gain pleasure subjectively, but I couldn't do it. My wisdom was still with, with me. It was still guiding me. The second thing that he says here about pleasure is the pleasure also fails us to satisfy us fully. He uses this phrase, chasing after or striving after wind. I mean, think about that. You know, striving after wind. You want to you uh, catch wind, but it, you, you can never catch it. You know, wind feels great when, when you're hot in a summer day, when you... Uh, and the cool breeze hits your face, you feel refreshed for a minute. Um, and so he's, but, but, but it, it disappears, it comes and goes. And he says, pleasure is the same way. You might feel good, you might feel pleasure for a minute, but it escapes you quickly. In fact, you build up a tolerance level to any pleasure. Uh, what felt good for the first time doesn't feel as good the second time, and you will need to have a little more to go or go a little further to experience the same kind of pleasure. And and you know that's I mean as you know that's how addiction happens, right? You you taste something that tastes great, but you come back the second time, it doesn't. I mean you don't get the same high or same pleasure, so you need to have a little more, go a little further, and that's how addiction happens in our life. And here the the preacher, Koheleth, says um, he tried, but it was like chasing or striving after wind. It did not work. And so pleasure, he says, ultimately failed him. He could not gain meaning in life through pleasure. So not through wisdom and not through pleasure. And then he finally turns to work, right? So um, verse 18 I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under, sun, under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart which, with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So he tried to figure things out with his mind, figure out life, and he said he had no answers. And then he said, I'm going to create pleasure for myself, create meaning for myself. He chased after pleasure, but it was fleeting. It was vapor. He said it, didn't, it, didn't, it, it, it wasn't satisfying. So he turned to work. And again, he says it was vanity. Uh, and he gives us two reasons why. One, he says, 
I've worked hard, right? I, I accumulated much. I built houses and gardens and parks. I became someone who was great. I accomplished many things in life. And then he says, yet I can't take them with, with me. I can't take them with when I die. And matter of fact, I need to leave them behind to someone else. And then he says, that someone else could be a fool or a wise person. And so we're not sure if Solomon wrote this book. Some, some commentators say it was Solomon. But I mean, think about Solomon's life. He accumulated much wealth. Under his reign, his, the nation prospered. He did some amazing, great things. He built amazing, beautiful architecture, buildings, temples. He did amazing things. And yet when he died, he left everything behind to his son, Rehoboam. And if you read about his son, he was a foolish king. And during his lifetime, he pretty much lost all of his father Solomon's wealth. The nation pretty much crumbled under his reign. So that's what, that's what this preacher is saying. You could, you could accomplish, you could strive for tremendous things, work hard and gain wealth and significance and anything that you might want to des- want, desire, and yet you have to leave them behind, and, and you might have to leave them behind to people who are foolish. In other words, your work, your accomplishments will not be remembered. So that's the first reason. The second reason he says here is um, verse 23, for all the days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Work is hard. It wears on you. There's frustration. You are constantly evaluated. You might succeed, but oftentimes you feel, you'll feel like you don't measure up. He says, even in the night, his heart does not rest. Right? You get anxious and you worry about your work, your performance. It's, it's wearisome. It wears on you. So he said, there's no meaning in work, no meaning in toil, what you do, what you accomplish. That doesn't really provide, give you meaning in life. So that's sort of the, his conclusion. Uh, so we'll, let's pause there. Um, it's it's good for us to meditate on, on his words again because here's someone who actually went far in life. And we only dream about being someone great, but he actually became great, right? We could think about all the, we want our life to be easy and filled with pleasure, filled with good things. Well, this person had it all. And at the end of his life, at the end of his path, he said everything is hebel, everything is vanity. So where do we go from here? Uh, again, he drops these hints, and so look at verse 24 with me. And his, um, some, some commentators that I read this week, um, one, one person said that he thinks that this is the climax of the letter. I'm not sure, but this is what he says. He says, verse 24, there's nothing better for a person, then he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Let's focus on verse uh, verses 24 and 25. He says, there's nothing better for a person 
than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Let's pause there. Isn't this interesting? Because he has just, he just said there's no, there's no meaning in drinking. Right? He tried pleasure, right? He drank wine. He did all these things. He ate. He had great food. And he said there's no meaning in them. But he comes back and his conclusion is there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, he does add this, I think, key phrase here. He says, This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? All right, let me mention two things as an application. Um, I think, you know, the, uh, the writer of this book, he says, everything is vanity. And it is. You look around, there's things that are absurd, things that are broken, things that are falling apart, things that are not right. I mean, we, could, we sense that. But at the same time, we do enjoy things in life, don't we? I think we enjoy our church. Yes? We enjoy, my guess is some of you enjoyed your dinner last night. We enjoy, um, I guess we don't have too many kids here, but we enjoy the snow that we'll get. Um, yes, Elliot, I, I, I see you. <laughs> um, we enjoy things, don't we? We enjoy friendships. We enjoy a conversation that we had maybe a few weeks ago with a good friend, and we enjoy these things. And I think what the preacher is saying is this. The fact that you can enjoy things in life is God's grace. He says, apart from Him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? The fact that you Sense enjoyment in anything in life. It's a sign that God loves you. Another way to put it, theologically, it's kind of saying the world is not as bad as it can be because of God's grace and mercy. You can enjoy things. So for some of us, the most spiritual thing that you can do this week is to enjoy simple things and give thanks to God. So tonight, have dinner with your family and give thanks to God. Um, Go take a walk and give thanks to God. Allow the cold air to hit your face and give thanks to God. See the snow fall and give thanks to God. Um, Did I say take a walk? (laughs) Take a walk around your block or do it twice. And give thanks to God. Listen to music and say thanks to God. I think that's one of the, the key um, components of living a Christian life that is meaningful. We don't want to uh, have Christians that, uh, that, that are only like mourning, right? We want, to, like, we want to enjoy simple gifts. And we say, God, thank you. So, so for me, personally, I, I thought about, you know, maybe especially this past two years, but just overall, being in ministry is, is challenging. Um, again, your work and what you do is obviously challenging as well. Being a minister or pastor is, has its challenges. And so I thought about this week, and I just thought that more than anything else, as I come prepare and pray and, and get ready to, you know, speak to you, I need to be thankful 
I get to speak God's word to you. Wow, thank you, Lord. I mean, we talked about it earlier today with the praise team. We get to sing and lead people into worship. Praise God. We have voices that we can articulate and declare God's glory and, and His beauty. Praise God. We can be here together freely, see each other, even with masks on, and sing and worship and hear and pray. Praise God. Any little simple things is key to uh, giving thanks in these things is a key to enjoying the Christian life. I think that's one of the reasons why I think when Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, right? That's what he says. One of the ways, practically, one of the ways that we do that is like giving thanks to him. The meal that you'll eat, thank you, Lord. Um, yeah, the wine that you'll drink for some of you, thank you, Lord. Be thankful. I think that's what he's saying. It's a gift of God. Now, here's the second thing that he's saying, though. He says, we need to enjoy food, drink, work without attaching greater meaning to them that, than they de- deserve. The reason why we don't enjoy life or enjoy simple things in life is because we often attach meaning that they weren't, they're not supposed to have. So let wine be wine. Let food be food. Don't try to find pleasure and meaning through them. It's not meant for you to enjoy them, to escape reality. No, it's let food be food in your mouth. Enjoy them and give thanks. Let work be work. Don't try to attach your sense of significance in your work. That's when you stop or, or you stop enjoying God's gifts to you. You stop enjoying work and food and other activities from God. Don't attach greater meaning to them. They're merely gifts from the Lord. Um, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, um, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them. It only came through them. If they are mistaken for the things itself, then they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the, the thing in itself. They are only the scent of a flower that we have not found the echo of a tune that we have not heard, news from a country that we have yet visited. So he's saying, enjoy gifts from the Lord, but don't attach your heart. Don't try to find meaning in them. Their beauty and pleasure only came through them. It's not in them. So enjoy these things. Enjoy gifts from God. And thank God because He's the giver of these good gifts. Um, let me close by kind of giving you, hopefully this will work, uh, an illustration. I don't know how many, how many of you had a secret admirer like growing up or even now? Anyone? I never had one, so I, I just try to imagine. So imagine um, you, had, you, you get a, um, a box of chocolate, you know, and it has a note attached to it, and the note simply says, I think you're terrific. You just feel, you don't know who it's from. You just get this and you go, wow, this person thinks I'm great. Wow. Um, here, let me make sure I know where I'm going with this. This person thinks I'm great. Um, all right, I think this is what I'm trying to say. 
um, oftentimes, you know, God uh, gives us these uh, gifts. And uh, he says, I think you're terrific. Now, the feeling that you get when you receive a gift like that or a note like that, it, you, um, you, yeah, you try to figure out like why or who wrote this and all these things, but it just elevates like, your, your feeling. Um, God's given you uh, many gifts. We don't have to look for, in this heavy life, in this life that has fallen, look for great things. In simple things, God says, I love you. In simple things, God says, I think you're terrific. In simple ways, God says, I'm thinking about you. I'm with you. And more we can be aware of God's notes for us, more we will appreciate who God is and enjoy life. That's how I think the book of Ecclesiastes is trying to, te- what he's trying to teach us. He's saying, don't try to find meaning in big places, pursuing these things, but just enjoy life and recognize that your ability to enjoy these things is a sign that there is a God. There's a God who loves you. All right, let's, um, let's pray. I, I think we pray and close our time. Um, yeah, can I give us a minute to just, maybe two things. You know, one, detach your hearts from the things that you, you try to use to gain meaning, a sense of meaning. And it could be, it could be your work or... Um, you know, it could be a relationship, whatever it might be. You've elevated something in your life and said, if I can do this or have this, it will give me meaning. It will give me pleasure. Uh, it's not going to. The, the preacher, the teacher says, I've, I've gone all the way. Uh, but it was vanity. There was nothing there. For, so for some of us, it's just maybe this morning, we just detach our hearts from these things. And then all of us, you know, let's, let's pause and just be thankful for what God has given to us. His little notes for you. Um, he says, I love you. The fact that we can enjoy little gifts in life, whatever it might be, uh, a meal together with a friend, a music that you listen to, um, a walk that you take, a little simple things is a reminder that there is a God who loves you. And that's what he says. The, the, the reason why you are able to enjoy these things in life is because of God. God was the one who gives you pleasure and enjoyment. And so let's, let's hold on to that, embrace that, and just give thanks to God for little pleasures in our life, little enjoyments in our life that reminds us who God is. So let's uh, give give you about a minute to do that, reflect on that, pray for that, and then we'll come together uh, to take communion. Let's pray.